When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. Uh, here we are. We have we have spent one year uh, studying the beginning. Uh, that is Genesis. Uh, we, this is one of the last two installments uh, on the book of Genesis. We will be finishing uh, the last few verses of uh, Genesis forty-seven today. We'll do all of forty-eight, uh, and then we will come back next Wednesday, Lord willing, and we will do chapter forty-nine, which is 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 uh, Jacob blessing each individual son, and then we will get into chapter 50, and we will be finished uh, with Genesis, barring something unforeseen. So, uh, And then uh, we will take a break. There will be no Bible studies uh, for a couple of weeks, as I will be on vacation uh, celebrating Christmas and the New Year and deer hunting and things like that, spending time with family and in the great outdoors and resting. And then on January the 4th, we will come back uh, for the brand new study for 2023, and we will study the end, uh, the revelation. I said today on the live show, I said, we will finish the beginning, and then we'll come back and we'll start the end. Uh, so uh, so that, that'll be coming up next year. So let's, uh, let's look at a couple of things uh, this weekend. If you're catching uh, this on the same day that it was done live or you're watching it live, uh, we have a couple of man churches that are coming up this very weekend, December 10th and 11th, from themanchurch.com, which is a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, that is, I mean, it is full service turnkey. Uh, we can help you install a strategy that over 600 churches around the country are using now that features high challenge in these services, like I'm about to talk to you about, but also features uh, something that, that has been missing greatly from men's ministry, and, and that is the equipping, the discipleship of men. And that we do that in our curriculum. We have three of those. We'll have a fourth coming out uh, in January. So uh, you can find all those details at themanchurch.com if we can be of any service to you. So let's talk about this weekend. Um, we've got Westmobile Baptist Church. They're going to do a breakfast. They're doing a morning with Andy Blanks coming up this Saturday as they continue to row through the strategy. So if you are in that area or go to that church, be sure you're there. On December the 11th, on Sunday night, this will be Man Church number 2 uh, for First Baptist Church, Webster, Florida, down around Tampa. Scott Dawson uh, will be speaking to those men and the the pastor there. Which you got to have pastor buy in if you want your men's ministry to be successful. And uh, he has really been excited about what he is seeing with the men of his church uh, through this new strategy that they've just adopted from themanchurch.com. So that that will wrap up um, 2022 as far as the man churches are concerned. If you want to find out what 2023 looks like, uh, just go to themanchurch.com uh, and you'll see. Click on events, then you'll see. Look for a man church near you. Click right there. And they're all listed for 2023, and they'll continue to be updated as we add new ones. Now, coming in 2023, things you need to know if you're familiar with themanchurch.com, uh, that is new curriculum coming out. Uh, got a new resource coming out, a 31-day devotional uh, that uh, that God had, has called me to and helped me to put together uh, called Transformed. 
um, embracing the death of self and the power of God. Uh, that'll be coming out uh, in 2023 as well. I'll keep you posted on that. We certainly will have it at the Man Church Conference, which is coming up February 24th and 25th. Um, like at our church, for instance, uh, our church went and bought 50 tickets. Uh, and then our men can get those tickets at half price. The church is paying half. The man will pay. And then all these seats are reserved. They're all going to be together. Uh, and that's what we're doing. Uh, you may not want to do a group that big, or maybe you do. You can. If it's 10 tickets or less, just do them online, and they'll all be together. If it's more than 10, then call the box office. They're in Oxford, Alabama at the Performing Arts Center, the Man Church Conference. Uh, Andy Blanks from our team will be speaking. I'll do two sessions. Rich Wingo from our team will be speaking. Uh, we have Recap Gray, a young pastor out of Orlando, who will be our guest speaker. Uh, and then we'll have Chuck Hooten that will be doing uh, praise and worship. And if you're in leadership at your church, we'll invite you to a breakfast on Saturday morning where you can kind of network with our team and ask questions and things like that. And then we'll also give you a discount with your ticket to go to Big Time Entertainment there in Oxford, Alabama. It's right between Atlanta and Birmingham, and they've got all kinds of cool things your men can do as far as fellowship. So in this conference, we got fellowship, we got uh, we got challenge, and we got discipleship. So the Man Church Conference uh, still got some tickets available. We're a little over halfway sold out, uh, and uh, remember the ticket prices go up in January. So go ahead and get that done. All right, let's open a word of prayer, and let's jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, guide us, Lord, as we walk through this. Uh, we praise your holy name, uh, your name above all names. And, Lord, we know this is um, historic events that we are studying, and we know that you are teaching throughout this process, and we never, ever take on the attitude that somehow you need us to be your public relations department. Uh, you have said what you have said, and if we believe this is your holy inspired word, then we stand on these principles because we stand with you. You are truth, and uh, and we oppose all those who come against you. Uh, in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so we, if you remember, we were, we were getting down to uh to the walking into the death of Jacob uh and 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 we were in 47 and he settled in Goshen uh and and he's there uh Joseph has made the petition to Pharaoh Pharaoh has approved it so his brothers uh their families and his dad are going to be taken care of and we ended in verse 27 last week saying, Thus Israel, Jacob, settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. This is God's covenant, God's promise uh, with his people, and it's taking place. Now in 28, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. So this is the reference that we talked about. Uh, if you go back... Uh, to Genesis 37. Everybody, everybody flip back with me. Genesis 37, and then I want you to look uh, at the significance of this 17. Um, look at 37, look at verse 2, and um, we see that, uh, that Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old, so we, we know right there, before he, when he is put into prison, we know the last time that Jacob sees Joseph, he's 17 years old. So Jacob got 17 years with him, and then God comes back and brings him to Egypt where Joseph 
is revealed to to not be dead, that he is alive, to provide for his family, but then God gives him 17 years with Joseph in Egypt. So uh, that that that's a beautiful note to to take on, on God restoring. He left when he was 17, and I'm gonna give you 17 more years with him uh, during your time in Egypt, uh, and uh, before uh, the Lord, of course, would bring. Jacob to him. So when Jacob goes, he's going to be 147 years old. So 29 and 30, and when the time drew near that Israel, Jacob, must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh, and we talked about this back with Abraham, and I'll I'll talk about that, and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Verse 30, but let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt, bear me in their bearing place. Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. And make a note of bed here in this English translation. There's 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 a little bit of debate about that, but we'll, we'll, we'll try not to spend too much time there, but we will. So these two these two verses. Jacob knows Israel. He knows he didn't have long to live. Um, and and he, he asked Joseph. He knows Joseph is in a place of authority when dealing with Jacob and dealing with Jacob's brothers and all their families. He knows that. He is treating Joseph in this moment. I acknowledge that here on earth right now and the position that God has placed you, you're superior to me on what's going to happen to me. You really can do whatever you want to do with me when I die, so I want to make a plea to you. If we're good and there's nothing between us and I've found favor with you, do not bury me in Egypt. Uh, he and, and here's the thing that's kind of important here. Here's this powerful man. Uh, you know, he, he, He's with this lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but in this moment, he is coherent enough to understand, I need my son's goodwill to fulfill this request. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, and you know, it's interesting. I don't know how old or how many of you still have your fathers on earth, and, and, but I have found it, it, it has been, uh, this is a different deal, but, but I, I still could relate that it is kind of a strange place when I realized that I've gotten to the place with my father who has Alzheimer's and is 81 years old, that he needs me now. There's things that he may need or things that need to be done for him that he can't do for himself anymore. And he, and it's weird, especially if you have a dad that like I did that you, I mean, there were people that, that believe as little boys that your dad could, could, could take on anybody and nobody could take him. In my case, it was actually true. Okay, and so I mean, we 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 literally saw my dad as a living, breathing superhuman, and 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 so when you when it gets to the point now where I have to help him uh, to get around and to do things, now he still physically doesn't require a whole lot of help, but 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 mentally, you know, he 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 needs to. I have to help him do things. And so here is Joseph in this moment with his father, where his father is saying to him, I acknowledge that I need your goodwill here. And, um, and he, and Jacob asked his own son, uh, 
to show him kindness, to, to show him faithfulness, be faithful to me, be kind to me. Uh, and, of course, uh, Joseph is, is going to do that. But he goes a step further. He asked Joseph to place his hand under the thigh. Now, in this culture, and I'm so thankful it's not in our culture, but in this culture, if you, if, if you were doing the, hey, serious business, th- this is serious, what I'm, what I'm saying right now, don't just tell me you're going to do something. This is extremely serious. And if it's extremely serious, meaning you will have to answer to God if you betray me on this, they would ask for the hand to be placed under their thigh. And when you did that, you were, you were committed to what you were going to do. Now, we, we saw this, if you remember, uh, in Genesis 24, and, and I think it was in, I know it's in verse 2, and I think again in 9. You remember Abraham had this trusted servant, Haran. You remember this? And he trusted him to go get his son, the proper wife. And, and so Abraham's like, I want you to go find a wife for Isaac. And Haran said, yeah, I'll do it. I don't want anybody. It needs to be one of our people. I don't want him marrying outside of our faith. I don't want him marrying outside. And, and I, so don't go get me anybody from, from the Canaanites, uh, you know, no pagans. And Haran said, yeah, I, I, I'll do it. And here's where I really would like the wife to come from. Well, what does he do? He said, place your hand under my thigh. Now tell me you're going to do this. So this was extremely serious, and and what it did. Remember, even with the wrestling of Jacob um, and God. Remember, we talked about this that that uh, the uh, the Lord God knocked his hip out of socket with just a touch. By the way, all of this area of of males in this culture. This is where their strength and strength came from. This is where you know their their vitality came from this is where they there is a there is no doubt a genitalia reference here this is where life comes from their seed all of this is symbolizing that meaning if you place your hand under my thigh then 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 then, then this is a bond that you do not violate and uh, and so they um, they did that and you also find that this this comes uh, even when we get to the exodus uh, in chapter 1 verse 5 We'll see this same commitment uh, that that this signifies where life comes from. Uh, so Jacob's descendants are said to have come uh, uh, from the thigh. If you see that, by the way, uh, in Exodus one five, and then in Judges in chapter eight thirty, you'll see Gideon's sons, and the same thing. They came from the thigh of Gideon. So this that's what this symbol. This is descendants. This is where my seed flows from. So that's what this is all about. Um, so he he has a very straightforward request to Joseph: Do not bury me in Egypt. And um, and so, why is he so adamant about that? Well, there's the obvious: the covenant that God has made uh, with him, and and that these great nations are flowing from these patriarchs. And he has, but there, there's a little more here. Jacob struggled and struggled and struggled. Uh, to get this birthright, and and what he's really saying right now is, look, I'm getting to the end. I have be, I have been redeemed. I'm standing here with God. I'm in good standing. I'm in the covenant, and part of this birthright that I was given, I will be buried with Abraham, and I will be buried with Isaac. So do not bury me here. And of course, Joseph readily agrees with that. Um, and so when, when you see this, um, 
this commitment and him him saying, "I want you to swear this to me." Uh, you really only see this this used twice in the uh, uh, the Old Testament, and only is used with two two people, and one of them is Jacob, and the other one will be Moses in Deuteronomy. Three sixteen. I mean, thirty one six. Excuse me. Uh, my bad handwriting. All right. So now the final verse of, of forty seven um, is is uh, when he swears it to him. He says, "Swear to me," and he swore to it. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. A lot of commentary about this. Um, Jacob wants to be solemn. He's he's asking Joseph to swear an oath to do what what he promised. These oaths were taken extremely serious, as I said, so serious that Jacob was now assured his wishes would be honored, and he's he's acknowledging that I believe it, you've committed to it, and now it says Israel bowed at the head of his bed. And Now, when you see this, first of all, you've got Jacob bowing before Joseph, so there's the dream being fulfilled that Joseph was given. You know, Remember, it wasn't just his brothers that were going to bow to him. His daddy was going to bow to him too. And and now he is, but other translations say, you know, in in the English, y'all y'all are going with him being at the head of his bed and bowing. There there's been some discussion, and and the writer of Hebrews seems to take it this way, that and he even says it that he really what he was doing when he bowed before Joseph, it wasn't that he bowed at his bed. He had a staff, and he took his staff and he did like this, and he bowed behind his staff. Um, the writer of Hebrews translates it that way. It says Jacob bowed uh, behind his staff uh, to Joseph. But whatever, the bottom line is there is a bow here, and that is also the fulfillment of that dream. So now we jump into chapter 48, verses 1 and 2. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took him and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, and that's Jacob, summoned his strength and set up in the bed. Now, we think this is a less than a year from what happened in 47 with the promise and, and the oath. And, and he finds out, Joseph finds out basically, hey, your daddy, it, it, he, he's going down. It, it, it's almost over. He's getting weaker. So he takes his sons to see Jacob, Manasseh and Ephraim, and Jacob is told uh, his son was there, Joseph. Now, why is he having to be told that? Remember this, he's losing his eyesight. Now, Joseph, uh, Jacob is not completely blind. He's legally blind, and and he he struggles. He can see figures. So what what's happening here is they're going, hey, these people you see are these people in your room. That's, this is Joseph. And then Joseph's going to tell him he's bringing his grandsons to him. And and it, so keep in mind, he's ill, he's weak, everybody's saying he's about to go down. But the minute he realizes that Manasseh and Ephraim have been brought to him by Joseph, he gets the strength to sit up in the bed and say, we got to do business. Okay, we got to do business. I, I have a, a dear friend of, of mine who said they saw the exact same thing happen with their daddy. I mean, their daddy was gone. I mean, they were like, get everybody in here. He, he's he's dying. He's about to take his last breath. And when all the grandkids and everybody came in the room, he said, all of a sudden this man that like he couldn't do anything sits up, sits on the side of the bed, brings all the grandchildren to him and gives them um, some last words. He said, I couldn't believe it. I mean, there was nothing that would indicate he could physically do this. But in these moments, sometimes through the strength of God, these things happen, uh, and he masters the strength to, to sit up 
and to see him. Remember, this son is is very, very special to him. So verses 3 through 6, And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And, and he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples and will give, you this, give this land to your offspring after you for everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. What in the world? Jacob's going to take Joseph's sons from him? So let's talk about what's going on here. So there's some commentaries that say this is an interruption in the narrative, uh, but it's crucial that that we establish why Jacob would, would adopt his grandsons as his own sons, thus ensuring Joseph a portion of Canaan. That's what it's all about. Remember, Joseph's been in Egypt. Uh, he's been gone. He's, he's, he, he lives as an Egyptian. He, and, and so what Jacob says is, I'm going to make sure that there's two, there's a lot going on here. I'm going to make sure that your inheritance in Canaan is not questioned. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give myself some double security. I'm going to make your sons, my grandsons will be, they will be in the same standing as my own sons. Now the ones you have after this, we're not going to do that, and and there's the Bible doesn't tell us that Joseph had other children. Everybody said because of the fact that he was a man of power and he was told to multiply, he he obviously had more children. We don't know who those are, but but uh, because we we didn't continue with that in Scripture, but uh, it's it's understood that Ephraim and Manasseh are going to become Jacob's son. It's also what you're going to see because the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, Joseph has two sons. There's not one called jo- the tribe of Joseph. They're called, there's Manasseh, there's Ephraim. This is also Joseph being represented doubly in the 12 tribes of, of he gets a double blessing in the 12 tribes of Egypt. I mean, I'm sorry, of, of Israel, not Egypt. So, uh, so Jacob is trying to set all this straight before he dies. And so um, it, 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 it helps us get ready also for the blessing he's going to put on the grandsons in, in verse 16, which is coming up. And, and this, this helps us make sure that we understand the blessing that is coming in, in 16 uh, is, is, is going to also be tied to Rachel's death. He's going to mention that here coming up because this is also a way for, for Rachel, who we all know struggled to, to have these children, that now he's also going to add sons to Rachel as well. By saying, I'm taking two more sons, and it's going to be my grandsons. This is also his love of Rachel. He's trying to he he's trying to give Joseph a double blessing. He's trying to give Rachel uh, more standing, and he's making sure that this son Joseph doesn't get cut out on the inheritance of Canaan. That's what all this is about. And and so, let's look at some of the promises that he's talking about too. If you remember back in in 35:11, we know that uh, uh, that Jacob was told. That he was the nations that flow from him, he would be fruitful. The 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 the, the offspring would be numerous. Uh, that many nations would come from him. In thirty five twelve, he was told Canaan will be a permanent possession. Goshen is temporary, and and that's the reason why I say don't bury me here, 
God's provided this as refuge in this famine, but this is not where we live. Remember we talked about that? We don't belong here. Okay, where, where we are right now is temporary, but where, we go, where we're going is, a, is, is going to be our possession forever. And, and, you know, and of course, a lot of things have happened, and, and that's still standing. So, and right now, they don't have all of it they're supposed to have. So make a note of that, uh, because you may see that show up here as we all get toward the end of all this. So now, Joseph's sons would play a role in fulfilling these promises. So the next step that, that Jacob needs to do is he needs to adopt these grandsons for inheritance. So uh, Jacob's going to call these sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, now, keep in mind, watch what Jacob does, and it's going to be funny and, and, and uh, humorous in, in a minute because Joseph is thinking that his daddy's kind of lost it a little bit because his daddy is going to reverse the standing of these two sons because the oldest is Manasseh and the youngest is Ephraim, and he's going to flip it. Uh, and, and, of course, Joseph in a minute is going to start going, hey, Dad, you, you, you've got them in the wrong place, and, 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 and Dad's going to, he's not going to move on that. So uh, does this sound familiar that the youngest is going to be actually put into place uh, over the oldest? And so uh, that's coming. So, so pay attention to that. Uh, and this is a subtle indication that the youngest would be superior to the oldest in the future, which is true. Um, and then he talks about compa- comparing them to Reuben and Simeon because they are Joseph's oldest two sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are Jacob's oldest son. The prominence of these two, uh, Reuben and Simeon, because of their sin, Jacob is also taking that prominence from Reuben and Simeon. Now, they're going to have tribes. They're, they're going to be all right. But he's taking their prominence in, 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 of the tribes, and he's now giving it to Manasseh and Ephraim. Really, he's giving it to Ephraim, then Manasseh, because so, he's going to flip it. So, uh, so anyway, so, so make a note of that, too. All this is being transferred to Joseph's sons, but it can't be transferred if he doesn't adopt them as his own sons, which is what all this is all about. And then Jacob tells his son, any future sons will be counted to you. Uh, and there's a lot of debate on how many more sons Joseph did or didn't have. I don't know why we need to spend time on that. If, if, if God didn't want to tell us that, then it, 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 it ain't no big deal. Uh, but there is no mention of it. People have come up with different numbers that he had seven more, some said nine more. All of that is just speculation. Uh, and then, of course, you see him in, in verse 7. Uh, watch what he, what, what he does here. So in verse 7, As for me, when I came from uh, Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go, uh, uh, Ephrath and I buried her there on the way. Um, and, of course, uh, on the way to what is now modern-day Bethlehem. So he's also making it clear, I'm also adopting these two sons for Rachel. I, I want more sons to be credited to her lineage as well. So now verses 8 through 12. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Verse 10. And now the eyes of Israel were dim. He's telling you that that you can't see real well. With age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Um, And then look what happens next. And Israel says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees 
and he bowed himself with his face to the earth, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, underline that, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand uh, toward Israel's right hand and brought them near to him. You see what he's doing? He's trying to get them in the right order. And, uh, of course, Daddy's going to do a reversal on him here. But but he's walking them up since it's, Jacob can't see, and he's like, you know, i, I got to make sure i got Manasseh on the right side and i got Ephraim on the left side of Daddy because that's where they're supposed to be in Joseph's mind. And through tradition, that would be that would be correct. Uh, but you're going to see something change here. So so Jacob's legally blind, as I told you. He can see figures, uh, and he's going to bless them. But first, he, he he takes them just like a granddaddy. I love that. At first, he said, we're going to get to all this blessing, but right now I just want to hug and kiss you. Bring them up here. Get them up in my lap. Let me hug and kiss these grandsons who are now going to be my sons. And so there's a moment when he does that, and uh, and, and and he's acknowledging, which I think is beautiful, some of this is extremely, extremely deep, but some of it I hope you see, guys, and it's so important, and ladies, those of you that are watching around the world, it's so important to realize because I think sometimes we, we read these historic events and we start thinking, well, these are special people. Uh, God couldn't use me. I mean, they, there's something about these people that makes them almost supernatural in and of themselves. But the humanity that we keep seeing I mean, think about here's Jacob with all this stuff about the future and God's covenant, but he takes a minute to hug and kiss his grandsons. He takes a minute here to say to Joseph, saying to God, I never thought I would see this boy's face again. And you haven't just done that for me. You haven't just let me spend 17 years with him after I thought he was dead. I'm now getting to see his sons. I'm getting to embrace and hug his grandsons. He just takes a moment to say, God, you really went above and beyond. I got to see my boy, but I'm getting to see, you know, I've seen this. Have you all seen this? You ever seen people hang on for what? I want to see my grandkid. Uh, I want to see somebody get married. Then I can go. Uh, you know, I, I, and, and here he is saying, you let me hang around here so long. I'm, I'm hugging and kissing my grandkids. And so then he gets back to, to the serious uh, but I just thought that was beautiful that he is uh, acknowledging that he never thought this day was coming. And so I would say to all of you here, and I would say to many of you out there, just because what you've been praying about hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. may not. On this side of heaven, it may not. But don't think just because it's been a while uh, that somehow that God didn't hear that or he's, he's taking a break. Uh, as I have uh, heard, and I can't remember who to credit this to, I can't remember who said this, but he said, you know, what you got to understand is that God may never be early, but he's never late. So whenever it happens is 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 the time that, that he thought it would be right for it to happen. Um, so anyway, um, he he's taking this moment, and, and the offspring here, the word that's being used in Hebrew for offspring, it literally means seed. Jacob, uh, you picture this now. Get a good look at this. I love to put how, how real this was. So the details here tell us that Jacob is likely sitting on the edge of the bed. Do you see that? He's got his legs thrown over there. He's found the strength to sit up. And the boys have been up on his knees, like up in his lap. And he's hugging them. He's kissing them. He's getting ready to bless them. But now he says, hey, move them back. You know, uh, get, get them off my knees so, so, I, so, so he can show gratitude to his father, 
by, by prostrating himself before Jacob, I mean before um, Joseph. And then Joseph is now doing the same thing before Jacob. So he takes the boys, he moves them back, he gets prostrate before uh, Jacob. Now, Jacob positions the boys with the younger on the left of Jacob. Now, look, look at this, and we, and we saw this in 13. And the older Manasseh on Jacob's right, but watch this. Watch what happens next. So in, uh, in verse 14, And Israel stretched out his hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his, uh, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh is actually the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph. So as soon as Joseph says, i got to get my oldest one in the right position and the youngest one in the right position, Jacob just takes his arm and, and crosses them and switches it and puts his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. And then he gets ready to bless Joseph before he gets to them. And so Jacob is being told something that Joseph isn't in on uh, because he, he, he positions them the way he thinks they should be. Jacob crosses his arms uh, to reverse his right hand, and he now is taking his right hand, which represents power and preference, and that right hand is now on Ephraim, not Manasseh. Uh, so verses 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all the life long to this day, all my life long to this day, underline shepherd. 16. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So here comes this blessing. It's really threefold. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, first of all, it is an invocation of God. There's worship. Uh, the God before me, who my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. Um, and then, of course, in, in 16b, it's a blessing. Uh, and then in the, the last part of 16, it, you see the effects of the blessing. Now, now it, he's clarifying and making clear that the God that he is now b- worshiping and calling for the blessing is the same God of Abraham and Isaac. Um, and God, he says, God has shepherded me my entire life. And how about this? This is the first mention of God and all of Scripture calling him shepherd. Here we go. Here comes the foreshadowing. God's now a shepherd, and he's shepherded me all my life. What did Jesus tell he was, Tell us he was? He is the good shepherd. So this is the first time that this becomes a, a description of God. Uh, God is also called the angel who redeemed me from all harm. The angel of God uh, with God, uh, and of course, when any time you hear the angel of God or the angel of the Lord, this again is a foreshadowing of Jesus uh, precarnate. Okay, this is this is Jesus in the Old Testament. So, how did Jesus? Uh, how 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 did the angel of God or the angel of the Lord? How did he continue uh, to shepherd him and deliver him? Well, he delivered him from Esau. He delivered him from Laban, and he delivered him from the Canaanites. So, and then the consequences of his blessing is twofold. Joseph's sons will be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. So, um, they're, they're now considered before God to be sons of Jacob. They have equal standing now with all the other sons of Jacob. 
they're elevated right now that they have the same standing of all the sons of Jacob. And he's, he's making sure this is crystal clear. And they will grow. That's the second part of the blessing. They will grow to be numerous in the land. This blessing of the descendants will be respected to Joseph. And we'll see that when we get to 49 next week when he goes to the individual blessings. You're going to see this double portion now goes to Joseph. He's represented twice in the tribes where the rest of the brothers only represented once. Okay, so pay attention to that. That's going to be important when we finish next week. So now let's look at verses 17 and 18. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Hey, Dad, you've messed this up. You don't, you've got your right hand on the wrong kid. That's the younger one. So look at this. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. So you see Joseph, he saw the crossing of, of his daddy's arms, and he sees the greater blessing has gone to the youngest, and he thinks his dad's made a mistake. But that gets clarified real quick uh, in, in 19. But his father refused him and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. He said, look, I'm not getting rid of Manasseh forever. I'm not like casting him out. He's going to be... He's going to be fine, but he's not going to get the greater blessing. Um, and he's telling him that. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he's correcting Joseph. You don't have this right. Uh, I'm fully aware of where my hands are, and I'm fully aware of what I'm doing, and what I'm doing is correct. Now, this does sound like my dad. Uh, anytime that, that where you think, well, whatever, and he, he'll correct you extremely quick. Uh, I remember vividly when my dad was, uh, he'd had a heart attack and he'd gone through all this stuff and, uh, and I had taken him deer hunting and he took, he killed the deer and he drug it all the way to the road. This is when he was in his, um, uh, late sixties, early seventies. And he just had, uh, five bypasses. So, um, so my mother called me and she said, um, you need to tell your daddy quit dragging the deer to the road. He called me, said he killed a deer and he drug it to the road. I thought, Oh boy. Uh, and I said, um, okay. So he and I were bunking together and, and he's putting his stuff up and I said, Hey dad, um, just want to kind of talk to you about something. And, and, and this I think was the moment for Joseph here on something much more important. There's a moment when no matter how old they get or how much you may think they need your help, where they will clarify that it, they're still in full control. Okay, that I'm not dead yet. Okay, so so don't question what I'm doing. And so he turns around and he said, "Yeah." And the minute he said that, I thought, "I wish I wasn't here, and I wish <laughs> I wish I was not about to do this." And um, and because I then became eleven real fast, you know. And I said, hey, you know, uh, there's really no need for you to drag the deer to the road. I mean, wait for somebody to get there, and, and we'll load it up. And, you know, it's just not, this is not necessary. And he said, let me make something perfectly clear to you. And I thought, oh, man. 
And I saw Greg, he kind of left out, went out into the uh, – he said, any man that can't drag his deer to the road ought not be hunting. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, and if you want to know why I drag the deer to the road, that's just what I do. Roger that, Dad. And he, and he said, and anybody who needs to know that, pass it along. And I thought, yes, sir. So he drugged deer. I called mom. And I said, Dad, that dad will. It is possible, mom. You are right that dad may be found face down, dead in the woods, with antlers in his hand. And if that's the way he dies, that's just the way he's going to die. I said because I'm I, he. I'm not telling him anymore about dragging deer. So, but when he said that's just what I do, what he was saying is, hey, we haven't gotten to that point yet. You don't tell me what to do, and 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 you don't tell me what I can and can't do, and. And, and so you're still in a position that is inferior to me right now. I'm still the patriarch, and I'm still moving. So he just tells uh, Joseph, appreciate your catch on what I'm doing, but what I'm doing was not a mistake, and what I'm doing is correct. This is what God uh, wants to do. Now keep in mind, just like in my case, much less important, Joseph's correction was not meant to be disrespectful. He honestly thinks his dad's made a mistake. He he thinks his dad just doesn't because he can't see good and he's getting older. He he's not saying because he backs off of it at, at that point. He doesn't continue. And and the Manasseh was not deprived of a blessing. Uh, he would become a huge tribe. However, uh, Ephraim was uh, was to be more numerous. Uh, Ephraim would be uh, would be evoked when the people of Israel prayed. For fertility, they would they would bring up Ephraim. They wouldn't bring up Manasseh. And as you know, Manasseh did have his his offspring. We we had some issues with them that that Jacob, of course, is already seeing. So here comes the blessing in twenty. So he blessed them that day, saying, "By you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh." Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And this must be like crazy awkward at this point, but this is what he's doing. So verses 21 and 22, um, he's, he's completed the blessing. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brother one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Interesting. So the blessing uh, is, is primarily for Joseph's sons. Um, he, he does give Joseph a blessing too. He tells Joseph that he is near death, but he says God is going to, to take care of you. He'll be with you. Um, and, um, and he said God is going to do for you all that God had done for him. And, and he will get you back to Canaan. You know, what we're seeing here, and this is what we got to be, guys, okay? What, what this dad is doing and this granddad is doing is he's taking his son and his grandsons that have now been elevated to the same level as his sons, and what he is saying, and this is what I want to put before us today, what he's saying is, I can assure you that God is faithful. Now, why, why can he assure that? He's seen it. He's seen God be faithful in his own life. So the question that I would ask you, and I'm sitting here evaluating myself, can you look into your children's eyes 
and your grandchildren's eyes, if you have them, and can you assure them that God is faithful? And can you say, I know that God is faithful based on this? Have you and I lived our lives in front of our offspring with a, a life that makes them look at us and say, my daddy, my granddaddy has told me over and over again that God is faithful, and he said God is faithful. He's been faithful in this. He's been faithful in that. He's shown me scripture where God says he is faithful. He's shown me time and time again throughout history that God has been faithful to his people. He's explained to me, if I'm, a, you know, like most of us here are Gentiles, if not all of us, why I'm in on this blessing now. He knows how to handle the word of God. He knows God so well that he has passed along to me clearly that God is faithful, and I believe it. Or, unfortunately, is it the other? My daddy and my granddaddy don't know have any idea what they're talking about. I don't know anything about God because they're unable to pass anything along to me. They've never told me who God is, and I don't hear them talk about it much. I don't see them. This is important to them. And you're sitting there on your deathbed, and uh, you don't have anything to say. So think about you're on your deathbed right now, and your sons or your daughters are ushering in your grandchildren, and you have this is your final discussion with them. What are you going to say? Are you going to have to explain the inconsistencies of your life? Am I going to have to explain that? Hey, I know y'all have never seen me talk about this before, but I'm about to die, and I'm trying to get my act together here at the last minute. Can I tell you, that's not going to have a lot of impact. I hope you'll still do that. I don't don't not do it. But but what I would do is if you're not doing it, I would start now living a life of faith that if you're on your deathbed and everybody's been ushered in in front of you, you actually have something to say and when you say it, you actually have some credibility. I, look, all of us have been to these funerals. These terribly awkward funerals where you can see everybody pretending that this person was a godly man, and we all know he wasn't. Right? We all know it. And you see people awkwardly try to get up there and say something that it's usually some funny story that their daddy did or their daddy loved their football team and daddy loved to hunt and fish and do this kind of stuff. And and then they and then you can tell if they do anything about his faith, you can tell it doesn't really, none of us really believe it. You, know, you don't want people looking around on that day, and if somebody mentions something about you or me being a man of God, somebody go, really? Hmm. I, I don't recall that being a big deal to him. So let, 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 let's make sure that we understand, and you've heard it said, I'm not the one who said it. I don't know who to credit with the first person who said it. None of us really know how to live until we know how to die. You know? And I remember when Bill Searcy who used to be in this Bible study, when he got the word that cancer had returned and that he was not going to survive it. And I remember so vividly, and I was with Rich Wingo yesterday. We got to have a great day hanging out yesterday together. I'm so thankful for his friendship. And I remember Rich Wingo saying to Bill Searcy, through your struggles, you've taught us what redemption looks like, and you've taught us how to live now, Billy, God is asking you to show us how to die. So show us how to die. 
and and I hope that we will take that same challenge and that there wouldn't be an awkward moment that when people are hearing what we have to say, if the Lord allows us to say something in a situation similar, I hope that those who are listening will find us to be credible. So let's see what happens next. So so he tells uh, Joseph that God's going to get him back to Canaan. He said, "This is you're going to get the land that was promised over and above what has been promised to your sons. And then he starts talking about this mountain slope. You, you think that the commentators don't go crazy about this mountain slope? Well, there's a lot of people got a lot to say about the mountain slope. Uh, I don't want us to overcomplicate this. I think that's one of the things the men who have been in here for nearly 10 years like, if you want to go to Burgess's Bible study, he won't overcomplicate things uh, because um, I don't think he has the ability to. Um, he's trying to get it down where he can understand it, and that helps us to understand it. I think sometimes it's a lot of fun to chase all these different things, but maybe we just let the Bible say what it says. Jacob had a mountain slope that he got, and he wanted Joseph to have it. Uh, that was going to be something that was his uh, in the promised land. But I will tell you some of the interesting things that were talked about in this. Uh, it's been much debated, but most everybody does agree they think this is Shechem. Okay, That's where this mountain slope is because it, it does say that what? It was taken by force. Don't miss that for some people that uh, you know try to. Jacob's making it pretty clear, I took this mountain slope, and I, I took it by force. So when you hear that, this sounds like what happened at Shechem where because of uh, the boys, they, they went and they, they murdered uh, these, these people because of what happened with their sister. And eventually it got so rowdy that, that Jacob had to, had to put together a force, and he had to take it because they couldn't live there safely after that. And because of what, how this all happened, uh, many of the biblical theologians believe the fact that it was taken by force and that Simeon and Levi had caused this on behavior that their daddy said was incorrect behavior, that they he did not want Simeon and he did not want Levi to when he was dead to go, oh, that belongs to us. He didn't want them to benefit from their brutality. And so um, um, this is the um, this was him saying, I'm gonna make sure this that I had to take by force belongs to you and your boys. This is going to be y'all's place. I don't I don't want them to have it. I want you to have it. So that I think that holds up. Uh, um, I don't um, it's not something that that I can drop the hammer on because the Bible doesn't really tell us, but but that's that makes as much sense as anything else I could think of and the and the commentators say the same thing. So uh, so again, um, it it will also be placed in Ephraim you know, there's that honor going again to the youngest son. And if you look back, now there's a reason for this first one. Let's not confuse the first one. But in Scripture, that we see that at times God will favor the younger one over the older one. And it's because he knows their heart. Abel was favored over Cain. Now there's a reason for that because of the sacrifice that they brought. And Abel was in sync with God and realized, oh, by the way, since the fall, God wants a blood sacrifice. So I'm bringing a blood sacrifice, and I'm going to bring the best of what I have. Some people have said incorrectly it was just because 
that Cain didn't bring the best. That's certainly true, but it, the main problem with God hating Cain's sacrifice, it wasn't a blood sacrifice. And for sin, there had to be a blood sacrifice. I don't ask for vegetables. I ask for blood. And so so that Cain's behavior caused Abel to be favored over him. Uh, we know that Jacob was favored over Esau. Now, Jacob as opposed to having faith in God and Mama having faith in God to do this because God said he was going to do it, they worked their own plan, and then he got into that that wrestling match with God, and God dealt with all that. Remember that in 32, which uh, to this moment that, that lesson has still impacted me. I was just talking about it yesterday. And then we see now Ephraim has been uh, favored over Manasseh. So what this is going to do is going to set up the future blessings of all the sons and when we come back next week, Lord willing, uh, we're going to hear each son stand before uh, Jacob, Israel, and uh, and he will bless them. And and we'll we'll do that next week, and then we'll finish uh, with um, Jacob's f- uh, death finally becomes a reality. And we'll hear a little bit, not a lot, we'll hear a little bit about the death of Joseph as well. So uh, so there's a lot to take away. Uh, from today's lesson. So as we pray, uh, let's reflect and, and ask and ask a question right now. Some of you may have been prompted in different ways. Some of you out there may have been prompted in different ways, but, but let's spend time uh, closing out with the Lord and apply what he's just taught us. Lord, thank you for the lesson. Thank you for um, making sure that, that we have access to learn as, as much about you as you allow. Uh, Lord, we, we rest uh, in the fact that you are sovereign. We, we rest in the fact that the world that we live in uh, since the fall, there's certainly been repercussions for our sin, and, and we know that you're going to refine all this. You're going to make it all new. We know that. You told us that. We'll learn more about that when we come back next year, if you allow us to. But we also know that this place is not out of control. It's under your control. And we rest in that. So many times you've told us that we are not to be afraid. And you're telling us that because many times our fear is a lack of faith in you. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to to give us that peace that you told us could only be found in you, that no matter what was going on, thanks to the redemption that you provided, that everything really is going to be all right. And you told us that we will have tribulation, but that we should always have peace and joy in our heart because you've overcome the world. And we rest in that today. At this time of year, when we remember you coming to us when we could not come to you, But may at the same time, we also remember you're not a baby anymore, and neither should we be. And maybe it's time for some of us to grow up spiritually. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to refine us and draw us into a spiritual maturity where we can be used in a way that we just can't if we remain spiritual infants. As the scriptures say, And the writer of Hebrew, at this point, many of you should be teachers. And the writer of Hebrew says, but I keep having to go back and teach you the basic oracles of God 
I keep having to give you milk, as the Apostle Paul would say, because you, you can't handle meat. May we never be satisfied with that, Lord. And the only reason that we're, we don't know more is because we aren't willing, because you certainly have made it available to us. And I thank you for these men that have been devoted to this study of your holy word for years. And the impact it's had on us all, Lord, is invaluable. So thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.